Hi, this is Becca. Welcome to Reset and Restore Book Edition, where we read experts from books with messages to inspire and make us think. Tonight, I'm going to read Krishnamurti, Think on These Things. But first, before we start, who is Krishnamurti? I'm going to read um, for you from jkrishnamurti.org an overview of this wonderful man's life and work. Jiddu Krishnamurti was born on 11th of May, 1895 in Mandana, Pali, a small town in South India. He and his brother were adopted in their youth by Dr. Annie Bassan, then president of the Theosophical Society. Dr. Bassan and others proclaimed that Krishnamurti was to be a world teacher whose coming the Theosophists had predicted. To prepare the world for this coming, a worldwide organization called the Order of the Star in the East was formed, and the young Krishnamurti was made its head. In 1929, however, Krishnamurti renounced the role that he was expected to play, dissolved the order with its huge following, and returned all the money and property that had been donated for this work. From then, for nearly 60 years until his death on 17th of February, 1986, he traveled throughout the world talking to large audiences and to individuals about the need for a radical change in mankind. Krishnamurti is regarded globally as one of the greatest thinkers and religious teachers of all time. He did not expound any philosophy or religion, but rather talked of the things that concern all of us in our everyday lives, of the problems of living in modern society with its violence and corruption, of the individual's search for security and happiness, and the need for mankind to free itself from inner burdens of fear anger, hurt, and sorrow. He explained with great precision the subtle workings of the human mind and pointed to the need for bringing to our daily life a deeply meditative and spiritual quality. Krishnamurti belonged to no religious organization, sect, or country, nor did he subscribe to any school of political or ideological thought. On the contrary, he maintained that these are the very factors that divide human beings and bring about conflict and war. He reminded his listeners again and again that we are all human beings first, and not Hindus, Muslims, or Christians, that we are like the rest of humanity and are not different from one another. He asked that we tread lightly on this earth without destroying ourselves or the environment. He communicated to his listeners a deep sense of respect for nature. His teachings transcend man-made belief systems, nationalistic sentiment, and sectarianism. At the same time, they give new meaning and direction to mankind's search for truth. His teachings, besides being relevant to the modern age, is timeless and universal. Krishnamurti spoke not as a guru, but as a friend, and his talks and discussions are based not on tradition-based knowledge, but on his own insights into the human mind and his vision of the sacred. So he always communicates a sense of freshness and directness, although the essence of his message remained unchanged over the years. When he addressed large audiences, People felt that Krishmurti was talking to each of them personally, addressing his or her particular problem. In his private interviews, he was a compassionate teacher, listening attentively to the man or woman who came to him in sorrow, and encouraging them to heal themselves through their own understanding. Religious scholars found that his words threw new light on traditional concepts. Krishnamurti took on the challenge of modern scientists and psychologists and went with them step by step discussing their theories and sometimes enabled them to discern the limitations of those theories. Krishnamurti left a large body of literature in the form of public talks, writings, discussions with teachers and students, 
with scientists and religious figures, conversations with individuals, television and radio interviews, and letters. Many of these have been published as books and audio and video recordings. The question that we were going to ask Krishnamurti from the book, Think on These Things, the questioner asked, why is it that always so many rich and important people are invited to school functions? Krishnamurti, what do you think? Do you want your father to be an important man? Are you not proud if he becomes a member of parliament and is mentioned in the newspapers? If he takes you to live in a big house or if he goes to Europe and comes back puffing a cigar, are you not pleased? You see, the wealthy and those in power are very useful to institutions. The institution flatters them and they do something for the institution. So it works both ways. But the question is not just why the school invites the important people to its functions. It is why you also want to be an important person or why you want to marry the richest, the best known, or the most handsome man. Don't you all want to be a big something or other? And when you have these desires, you have in you already the seed of corruption. Do you understand what I am saying? Put aside for the moment the question of why the school invites the wealthy, because there are also poor people at these functions. But do any of you sit near the poor people, near the villagers? Do you? And have you noticed another extraordinary thing? how the sannyasis want to be seated prominently, how they push their way to the front. We all want to have prominence, recognition. The true Brahmin is one who does not ask anything from anyone, not because he is proud, but because he is a light unto himself. But we have lost all that. You know, there's a marvelous story about Alexander when he came to India. Having conquered the country, he wanted to meet the prime minister who had created such order in the land and had brought about such honesty such incorruptibility among the people. When the king explained that the prime minister was a, was a Brahmin who had returned to his village, Alexander asked that he, came, that he come to see him. The king sent for the prime minister, but he would not come because he did not care to show himself off to anyone. Unfortunately, we have lost that spirit. Being in ourselves empty, dull, sorrowful, we are psychological beggars, seeking someone or something to nourish us, to give us hope, to sustain us, and that is why we make normal things ugly. It is all right for some prominent official to come to lay the cornerstone of a building. What harm is there in that? But what is corrupting is the whole spirit behind it. You never go to visit the villagers, do you? You never talk to them, feel with them, see for yourself how little they have to eat, how endlessly they work day after day without rest. But because I happen to have pointed out to you certain things, you are ready to criticize others. Don't sit around and criticize. That is empty. But go and find out for yourself what the conditions are in the villages and do something there. Plant a tree. Talk to the villagers. Invite them here. Play with their children. Then you will find that a different kind of society comes into being because there will be love in the land. A society without love is like a land without rivers. It is a desert. But where there are rivers, the land is rich. It has abundance. It has beauty. Most of us grow up without love. And that is why we have created a society as hideous as the people who live in it. Today's reading is dedicated to my friend Vishal Vivek and the Hemp Foundation team, who have journeyed miles by foot and on rugged roads to more than 200 Himalayan villages, meeting more than 5,000 farmers for, to bring them support and hope to restore their farms through hemp farming. 
creating a value chain to reset and restore livelihood for their families and generations to come. Thank you.